Okay, I have to fix something because I know there are people sitting there saying, Terry, those signs are crooked. And you'll be thinking, what kind of church is this? And you'll be leaving mad. You'll be talking about us during lunch. So for all of those that like straight things, is that good enough? Okay, good. <sighs> Got to start on the right foot. Good morning. Great to have you here. We're in a series called Matters of the Heart. Uh, Pastor John began the 1st of February with one of the uh, most amazing messages. You can always get these online, so go back if you've missed it and have not heard. Pastor Jake last week talked about marriage in a very deeply biblical, spiritual way in our relationship with God. And today, uh, I'm going to talk about the broken heart. All right, and Pastor John will finish our series next week. So year, weeks ago, so I began to think about this message, no pun intended, it was on my heart to talk about the broken heart. I've experienced that. So everybody, did, in your chair, there's a paper heart. Would you hold those up? Make sure you get I want to see them. Everybody hold them up. Great, great, great. Okay. All right. Now, we're going to do something with those, so hang on to them, okay? Now, heartbreak can come in very, very uh, different sources in various degrees, uh, can you remember the first time your heart was broken? Anybody look back? All right. Some of you, you've never had your heart broken. You can't look back. But when I was young, I asked a girl to meet me at the gym, but she never showed up. I guess the two of us aren't going to work out. I like that one. That's my kind of humor. Okay. All right. Now, you held your heart up a minute ago, but what I want you to do, and this will not be everybody and understand, but if you've ever experienced a broken heart in some way, would you hold your heart up? Okay, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So the real issue today, my goal, my heart, no pun intended, is where is God when my heart is broken? All right? In Psalms 34, 18, in this, uh, actually David wrote this. It's very powerful. After all the things he had gone through, he wrote this. It says this. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saved those crushed in spirit. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. Now, I can tell you, I, I believe that at one time in my life. I grew up in the church, had a great upbringing, loved my church. Our family, mom and dad, were great parents, was involved with church and sports, and, and God is good. My life, God is good. Everything was good. Go to Bible college, uh, find somebody that would marry me. God is good. God is good. Got married, had a few things, struggles along the way, uh, was poor. But my life, in, in essence, was really good. God is good. And I, I lived that as a philosophy, and we would sing that. Does anybody remember the old-time thing was in church where it was a responsive thing? Let me see how many remember this. God is good. A lot of you, all the time. I believe that. I would go to church. I would sing that. And so for many, 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 many years and decades of my life, I would proclaim God is good. I was that happy God is good kind of guy. And then my daughter, Heather, was pregnant. She had a little baby boy. On a Friday afternoon, I held this little boy named Croy. They gave him the name French for cross. Cute little tiny little baby. Saturday morning, happened to be on my son Jeremiah's birthday. We got a call early in the morning. The baby had died of respiratory failure. So I'm going to tell you what happened. That was the beginning. A little bit of a rip in my heart. Now look it. 
You're here today and you understand when things happen, when your heart is broken, you begin to think about God in a different way. And I remember sitting there thinking, God, this family loves you. I've loved you. I've served you. I've given my life to you. I'm, I'm, I'm totally committed to you. You have blessed my life with good things. Here's my daughter. They're serving in ministry. Lord, why in the world would this baby have to die? First rip. Years later, my wife Brenda got cancer. But you know what? We had faith. We believed God, and I still believe God, and I still believe in healing. And I'll explain a little of this today. But after a, a battle with cancer, she died. Coming up. I will tell you, my heart was broken. Now, I want to share a little bit about that process because a lot of you can relate to some of these things as it goes. Now, I will tell you, in that looking at that verse, I think that the original Greek translation, they made a mistake. I'm not so sure it was the Lord is near the brokenhearted. I could have found a lot of different definitions in my thinking and perception of God. And it was this, Lord, do you fix the brokenhearted? Lord, do you care about the brokenhearted? Lord, why do you let the brokenhearted things happen? And it put into me this idea of God that really put me in a very negative path. Now, I will tell you, after her death, there was the nearness of God. All right? And for a lot of time, many, many months, I was able to rest in that nearness. But I got into my head space about God. And I began to rethink this. Hmm, is God really near? I mean, why did this have to happen? I'm a good guy. I'm a, I, I'm a faithful servant of God. And I will tell you, I hit a span in my life where I would say today, God was not good. Now I could stand up here and I could smile and I could say, God is good. And you'd say all the time. And I'd say all the time, God is good. And not really believe that with all my heart. Now, as I said a minute ago, there are many causes and degrees of a broken heart. You have your heart, your hopes set on something, all right? It could be simple like a business that you, that you built and developed and it, it failed and it just broke your heart. It could be maybe your dream job came into the, 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 the opportunity and you were turned down for that. You left heartbroken about that. Maybe, and this is Colorado right now, maybe uh, I've done some young marriages and their weddings and uh, I, I talk with them and they've been trying to find a house and, you know, they look at 500 in one day and none of them, you know, pan out and they're heartbroken. They want to create a home. I get all these things, okay? Sports, sports can break your heart. <laughs> Broncos. Not even going to talk about the Rockies. Not even worth it. And, and, and right in front of me, front row, there's a Kansas City sweatshirt. <laughs> Just rubbing it in. You broke my heart. He's laughing, so what? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. All right. Okay. The ones that hurt the most, though, are connected to a relationship. In love. Anybody here ever been in love? A few of you. <laughs> I hope love happens for you. More than a Hallmark movie, you know. I remember in high school, I was in love with this girl. She broke up with me. Man, my heart was broken. A week later, I fell in love again. 
That's how it is when you're young. All right. But you could be excited about someone, and there is heartbreak when someone dumps you. Can I say, and I know this, I know this, and I understand this, divorce is a big heartbreak. Over the years at GFC, we have a lot of singles. We have singles that have been divorced, singles never married. Not being married is a heartbreak. I, I, I don't want to do a commercial here, but I want to say I care about that. We've tried to find ways in, in, in two weeks on March 2nd, Saturday after service, if you'll readjust your attendance, I'm going to do a thing called Finding the One. That's not what you think I'm saying there, but it's about relationship. And I really felt like the Lord's put it on my heart to do this workshop uh, with a friend of mine, Tim. We're going to do that. So if you're single here today of any age, all right, please join us uh, on Saturday the 2nd. We'll introduce that to you, okay? We'll talk more about that. But divorce is such a heartbreak. And talk to many of you that have gone through that. I've cried with many of you as you've gone through that. Disease is a heartbreak. Some of the uh, young women that have experienced miscarriage. And then as we know, the death of a loved one can break your heart. In the last few years, lost my mom, my wife. We recently lost a very special member of JFC. Uh, many of you knew Pam Meyer, Jeff and Pam. She passed away early uh, Saturday morning. And we grieve with Jeff and Stephanie and Savannah. Death can break your heart. Infertility. How many know kids can break your heart? <laughs> can I get an amen? No. Every parent here would say that. Uh, my son, he's a part of GFC. I love him. Uh, he had a period in his life where, where, as some kids do, just had to figure God out and figure life out. And it was heartbreaking to have a prodigal journey. But it, you know what? That was one of those moments. God, we trust in you. We believe in you. We're going to love him. But, but man, when they're, when they're out there, when they're struggling, it, it, it breaks your heart. I'm so happy to say he found an amazing wife, got great kids. I'm very proud of my son and all that he's gone through and who he is today. So what I want you to do, if you would, pick up your heart, okay? We're talking about it. Pick up your heart. If you've had a broken heart, you raised your hands earlier, I want you to rip yours in half. Rip it in half. And hold on to that, because we're going to do something with that uh, in this service. And it's going to be very important, all right? So what are the cures for a broken heart, all right? A lot of people, all right, uh, uh, bury it, ignore it. I'm just not going to deal with this, all right? And you hide it. I want to say that does not work. You may think you're not dealing with it, and years later it will surface in some way. That broken heart will come to you. You cannot just ignore a broken heart, other people attack the heartbreaker. Oh, Lord, there's some great stories. Just watch Dateline. <laughs> All right? I was thinking about this. This is just my dumb humor. I was thinking about this when we talk about this, and you've ripped your paper heart in half, and we talk about a bad divorce. I was always fearful that some lady would get up, throw it on the floor, and start stomping on it. You know, glad that didn't happen. But it's that kind of hurt and pain. Listen, counseling, we have a great counseling. Deb is a part of that, Deb Marcus and, and Rob and uh, uh, Larry and Nancy, they do a lot of that. And I think, listen, when, okay, when I lost my wife, I went to some counseling. When I was a single person struggling, I went to counseling. When I was newly married, went to counseling. I want to say here, we believe in counseling. But I want to point out the idea that you have to be careful with this. I think counseling can lead you to certain forms of knowledge and understanding. I think that's hugely valuable when you deal with heartbreak. 
looking at root causes, looking at family, or all of those things are important, okay? But sometimes for some people to deal with a broken heart, they see counseling as the cure. There's a codependency with that. I do believe that our folks, Tim and Debbie, I know you'd agree with that, tend to point you to Jesus, all right? And that's a very important part of counseling, but a lot of counseling does not do that. It just makes you feel a little better, and you come back to feel a little better, and so on. So be careful there. A lot of people medicate. People with a broken heart maybe tend to start drinking a little too much. People with a broken heart might not want the pain, so they might try to medicate that with drugs. All right, there are other ways. You can look at distractions, okay? Activity, it get busy. I remember when Brenda died, I, was, I, I created five small groups. I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to be alone. I didn't want to be there at night. And so when I had to come home after a group, they were kicking me out like it's 9.30. Hey, Terry, you need to go home. We're, we're ready for bed. Oh, really? We should talk about God some more. And no, we're tired. Get, get out. And so anyway, with that in mind, I would go home. And here's what I'd do. I'd get junk food. I'd sit on the couch and I'd watch TV until I fell asleep every night. Okay? And I'd wake up probably three, go up, get in the bed for a little while and get up and start the day. All right, distractions. People want to get busy. I don't want to think about this. I want to do stuff, okay? So for me, the fix was, you know, fast food and TV. All of these represent an effort to mend the broken heart, but most of us are smart enough to know here it doesn't work. We need something better. So no matter the cause or efforts to fix our heartbreak in this, somehow, because in that relational component, listen, somehow, God gets in that mix, and we look at God in very different ways as I did as well. We believe that, God, you caused this, or maybe, God, you let this happen, or you could have stopped this. It causes us to be disappointed with God and to be sitting here in this service today, if you've had heartbreak, to say, I'm not so sure God is good. I'm just not so sure, Terry. So I want to help you with that today, and I believe we can. Now, interesting, I was uh, reading and I read that Ted Turner, as a young man, as a teenager, believed in God, believed in God. And he had a sister that had a serious disease. And Ted Turner would pray for her, all right? For three years, he prayed for her to be healed. And at the age of 20, Ted Turner's sister died. And Ted Turner at that point said, I will not believe in God. I get it. I understand it. And he spent a lifetime moving away and proclaiming his independence from God. I had the privilege and, and joy of marrying a beautiful woman named Nancy, who is a delight and a joy. And I got to know very intimately her story of heartbreak and how she was um, literally uh, betrayed morally, abandoned, and all of the journey that she had. And she was very open and honest and sharing her struggles with God through that season and how it carried in on years. It helped me understand that, that my situation of death and her situation of divorce and the heartbreak, there's some parallel to this idea of who God is and how we relate to God. So here's the question. Can you be living righteous? Can you, believing that, can you believe that God is good? Can you have a broken heart and still doubt God? And I think the answer is that's true. So I'm not Jake, okay? So I got permission. He gave me, let me write this name down, Job, okay? 
Job is an amazing story of a, the most righteous man, one of those that are recorded in Scripture. All right, in Job 1, a series of events happened that literally wiped his life out. All of his wealth, uh, accumulated uh, agriculture and all that kind of stuff, his seven children and their spouses literally were all destroyed. Won't take the time to go on that story. If you want to go read Job 1, you'll see it there. All right, at the end of Job chapter 1, Job says this, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, when you follow Job through the several chapters of that book, you find his wrestling with God. And I understand that. It's a really good book about that. All right? But you look at his story, and you look at this idea. Job had this picture of God in the beginning, okay? But then he did what a lot of us do. He began to wonder, hey, okay? And this is what happens to a lot of us, okay? We have this concept of God. Anybody ever been there? Don't raise your hand. Everybody ever been there? The Lord takes away. Blessed. And then we change it. No, that's not true either. And you look at God with this idea of the Lord just takes. I've done right. I've lived right. The Lord takes away. And that leaves us with this broken heart. Okay, so I want to kind of use this as a focal point today of what we want to talk about. And we're going to come back to Job here in just a little while. Okay. God gives, God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Can we bless the name of the Lord? I want to say this today. God is always, listen, if you get anything, God is always working in our broken hearts to make us aware of something greater than our moment of pain. And you're thinking, what is that something greater? And that's going to be the focus of this message. And a great story out of the Bible. There are two, uh, two books in the Bible uh, with the name of a woman. Does anybody know them? Esther. Esther and Ruth, correct. Great stories, great things. Ruth is what we're going to look at today, all right? But we're not going to look at Ruth because mo most messages talk about Ruth. It's a great story. But today, I thought it was better for this message to look at the story of Naomi. Let's start in Ruth verse chapter 1, verse 1. Here it is. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home, went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. Now, let me just tell you, we're going to use Mo, uh, uh, Naomi today uh, as kind of an illustration with the heart thing. All right. Anybody here ever be in an economic downturn Anybody here ever really had struggle in finances and paying bills? Anybody here lost a business or going through it? Anybody here have to move because you couldn't make it in a place? All right? When you leave things, your familiarity's gone. Life is difficult. You got to get a U-Haul. You got to pack everything. You got to take your kids. And I think for Naomi, that was the first rip leaving all of her wealth, all of her family, all of her friends to a new place, hoping that there would be food there, hoping that there would be opportunity there. That's what Naomi experienced, all right? What if that happened to you? What if here in Denver, everything, the economy blows up, you've got your house, you've got maybe whatever. What if all of that today, all right, caused you to move to Moab, Utah? And by the way, this isn't Moab, Utah. Naomi went to a different Moab. All right? 
Look, you too, God, what are you doing? You'd, you'd have these questions about God, all right? So let's pick it up at verse 3 and 5. This story gets more difficult for uh, Naomi. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah. Now let me stop there. All right, Orpah. Would you like the name Orpah? Okay. By the way, a very famous celebrity has a name that on her birth certificate says Orpah. In rural Mississippi, believe it or not, they had trouble understanding how to spell Orpah. It was easier to call her Oprah. And so as a child, all the teachers, everybody started calling her Oprah. And that's where uh, her original name came from this story in the Bible. The other woman named Ruth. About 10 years later, both Malion and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons and her husband. I will tell you, that's a pretty major heartbreak. To be moved away, to have this happen. Think about that. Your spouse dies, your son's getting married, and I know I do weddings, and they have these little plaques they put in memory of a loved one that could not attend. And it's always just this little sad moment that takes place with that. You know, the only joy she had was her son's getting married and then they die. Naomi lost her husband, her son, and now she has these two daughters-in-law. I can promise you, Naomi was saying, how can God be good? Naomi, after this season of time being there, hears that things are better back in Judah and she decides to go home. Now, I want you to hear this part of this passage, and I want to share some things that I think are really where the life of God is in this message. There's two or three areas that are important in heartbreak. Beginning at verse 9, and we'll read through 16 as the screen comes up. They're heading back, and she says, May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, no. They said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to another son or other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I too, I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Part of this is cultural. Uh, my wife, Nancy, really pointed out some interesting things about this passage that I did not see. They must have had a great love and respect for Naomi to be willing to leave their own family to go with her. So Naomi says, would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not. My daughters. Now listen, you read this. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Pretty harsh words. God, you have raised, you, you haven't just ignored me. You have put your fist out there toward me. Next verse. And again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. 
This is a classic statement. We see it everywhere. Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Now look, for Naomi in this moment, there is just a thread of hope. She has been crushed. God has raised her fist against her, and here's what happens. She's going home. Family, friends that are there, relatives, and she has someone that will make the journey with her. Now, here's a very important point. You need people along the way in your heartbreak. You need people. The studies, I was reading this, a very interesting study. This is a Harvard study that's gone on for generations. And anyway, there's a trend happening in our culture today where people are moving further away from relationship and living more lonely lives. All right? So what's happened in the study, is they found a decline in connection with people and an increase in depression and suicide. And they correlate the fact that people now, instead of being connected with people, they're connected to screens. All right? And especially among high school kids and things that they're very alarmed about in that area. People, and here's a really neat thing. Orpah was there, but she went back. I want to give you some insight. There are people in your life that are there for a season. Okay? Treasure those people. They're a part of your journey. Orpah was that person for Naomi. All right? Now, look it. I want you to know where do you find those people. Yes, I am a pastor here at JFC. And yes, I am a connections or what am I called? Connections pastor or something like that? People ask me, what do you do at church? I don't know. I just love people. That's, that's really true. I, it's just, I love people. And so that title, you got to have a title. So I'm Connections Pastor, and I, you know, I work on that stuff. We do events that are on-ramps for people to meet other people. We do some group stuff and all that. I believe that. Listen, I'm going to tell you, you want people, even if they're a seasoned people from the church, you might come in here every weekend and not know anybody, and you're going to be alone in your heartbreak. And I'm concerned about that. I know church can be trying at times. I know there was a story about a mom trying to get her son up for church. She's getting ready, knocks on his door, son, it's time for church. Ah, she hears grumbling behind the door. So I'm going to check up on you on five minutes. She comes back five minutes later, knocks on the door. Son, it is time to get ready for church. Mom, I don't want to go. Son, you need to go. I'm going to come back in five more minutes. You better be ready. Five minutes later, she comes back, knocks on the door, and she says, son, it is now time to get to church. She says, give me two good reasons why you don't want to go. All right? He says, well, two good reasons. I don't like those people, and they don't like me. So, mom, you give me two good reasons I should go. Son, you're 40 years old, <laughs> and you're the pastor. We've all been there as pastors, I'm sure. <laughs> but then you have people like Ruth, people that are there for a lifetime, okay? Can I tell you, in every heartbreak of my life, I have the joy and the privilege. Some of them are here today. They're go-with people. They're lifetime people. I don't have the time to tell you all of the stories through my heartbreak, how those go-with-me people made a huge difference 
in so many ways, whether it's practical or whatever. They were there for me. Do you have lifetime go-with-you people? Can you imagine Naomi feeling like, I want these girls to go and make their life, but at the end of the day, Ruth says, no way, I'm going with you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Do you have those kinds of people in your life? There are lifetime people. Another story, there was a guy, he was on his deathbed, and he's talking to his wife. Her name was Helen. He said, honey, we've been through so much together. Remember when the shop burned down, we lost everything, and we started over from nothing? You were there by my side. When our son was in that terrible accident and in a coma, I was heartbreaking, worried. I didn't think I could go on, and honey, you were there by my side. And now here I am in my final moments, and where are you? You're by my side. And his wife said, yes, I'm right here by your side. Honey, the man said, I think you're bad luck. Those aren't the kind of people you want to be. All right. So listen, please hear that idea of with you, friends. You have to cultivate that. You have to make effort. Okay? So Naomi comes home to her friends. They are happy to see her. They welcome her back. We pick up the story at verse 20 of Ruth chapter 1. Naomi, welcome back. And she says, don't call me Naomi, she responds. Instead, call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. Again, see her mindset. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. I'm not unaware that some of you are here today and you feel that. Life started out full, but all of the heartbreak has left you empty. You are this person who do not believe the Lord gives, and you cannot ever say, blessed be the name, because the Lord has taken from you. The next verse, she says, Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy on, upon me? Okay, there it is. There's how we think. Lord, you've caused this. You've brought this upon me. All right? Now, when you follow these chapters of, in Ruth, uh, the four chapters of Ruth, there is a slow and painful progression, okay? All right? Of her life and how she pictures God. Now, there's a lot we can learn from her, and we're going to learn from some other people in the Bible. All right? But look at, look at here now in Ruth chapter 4. We come to the conclusion. So Boaz took Ruth into his home. There's a whole story of Ruth and Boaz in there that's really a love story, and you need to go read that. But the focus here today is on Naomi. Ruth became his wife when she slept, and when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. Then this is really cool. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. You sense a little hope starting to seep back into this picture? For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby, cuddled him to her breast. She cared for him as if 
he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now, at last, Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. So here, dear friends today, the story ends with this. Some of what Naomi hoped for is now fulfilled. She has a grandchild that she just sees as much and dear to her as a son. It wasn't a part, all right, of her perception of a divine story. When we start off on this journey with God, we start believing that this is how it will turn out. If I'm called to ministry, if I'm in this business, if I have this marriage, whatever it is for you, you move into that believing this is how it turns out and the heart is ripped. And your perception of God is changed with that situation. But there's something really powerful here. This is a story for brokenhearted people. And many of you could connect with this. Now listen, there are two things I'm going to come back to in what happens with God and I'll answer the question, in your broken heart. So let's look at the beauty of this story. Sometimes you just have tunnel vision and just see these things that have happened to you. And that's all the story you see. In the story of Naomi, what we see is something very powerful. All right, look at this. Obed, her grandson, is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. And according to our very clear understanding of Scripture, was an ancestor of who? Jesus. There are times in your life where you don't get the story. All right? And can I say this for a fact? This could be a whole message. All right? Let me just tell you today, when you die, your story doesn't end. The ripples and ramifications of your story will continue on. How will you be remembered in that story? Naomi's there with this grandchild, so content, so happy, aching in her heart. And I don't know how her relationship with God was. Scripture doesn't really identify that. But her story still mattered. Sometimes you may not see or experience all of what God has for you, but your story matters. God is always working in our broken hearts to make us aware of something greater than our moment of pain and truth. What is that something greater? Two things. We read at the beginning, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. What that means is this. What is more amazing about God's love for us in his deep abiding love for us is that he wants you to be near now, here's, I'm going to give you, there's two ways to be near, okay? All right? Somebody could stand and I could have this. The message is, you're close enough. Don't get any closer. Or I can have this. It's a welcome. And when you read into that near, the near is this. And I, I, I would love to just spend so much time on this, but this idea of nearness is this place with God that I experience, but then I because if I didn't think God was good, did this. If you're here today and that nearness has not happened, there is an amazing place. I don't even have the words to describe it, but there's such a beauty of love in that place, even in the midst of a heartbroken. <clears throat> and it's only going to happen through the process of a broken heart. He is near. He is near. He is near. 
And we've talked about this idea of the story. <coughs> God is always going to be about his story for now and eternity. So I want to ask you this. We'll wrap this up here. <coughs> what do you want more? Do you truly want to know God in a way that you may not know? Do you want to be near? Do you want your story to be written or do you want God's story? It comes down to that today. Do you want him to be near? Are your arms welcoming to be into your brokenness? So many other scriptures relate to what that looks like. And it's very powerful. What do you want? Whose story? So we're going to apply that back to Job, okay? All right, Job, okay, began with this. And when you look at Job, here's what happens. You know the story. Uh, most of Job is him wrestling with God. And he had, he had friends that were seasonal friends, okay? They were not great. Job, you must have sinned. Job, take my advice. All, we've all had those friends, right? <laughs> okay, but when you look at the last chapters of Job, here's this amazing thing. He has an understanding of God that he didn't have. He could say this at the beginning, but now it means something very different. He could understand that the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But we circle back, and Scripture says 10 times what he had was restored. Was it, was it a terrible journey? Absolutely getting there. But was God faithful? Did he give? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job became near to God because of this. In this conversation with God, he says to Job, Job, you have no clue. You have no idea. Who am I? Who put the stars up? Who did? And he outlines who God was. And Job ends in humility and recognition and nearness to God because of that conversation. Can I say this with all sincerity and confidence? Job was better off because of this journey than he was before. You will be better off knowing and connecting and believing in God and trusting him with your story going through your heartbreak than before. And you may not believe that today, but you're going to give God a chance and find out. Let me talk to you about another guy in the Bible, Joseph. I love Joseph. He's one of my favorite stories. Joseph, as you know, was sold by his brothers. How many of you ever wanted to sell your brother? <laughs> they threw him in a pit. All right, they really were going to kill him, but a couple of the brothers said, nah, not a good idea. Caravan comes by, Joseph, hey, we'll, we'll give you this kid for X amount of you know, shekels or whatever it was. So jo Joseph's journey, he sold into slavery, all right? All right, and God was writing the story, and Joseph's a great example of being close to God and letting him write the story. He does everything that's right. Listen, he does everything that's right. He is elevated in this house, and some nasty old woman accused him of something that he did not do, and the owner of the house, the husband of the woman, puts him in prison. Can I tell you, I'd be really mad. I did right, God. I ran from this woman trying to accuse me. I did everything right, and here I am. I'm back in prison. He wrestled. God was writing his story. <clears throat> so what happens? He ends up second in command in all of Egypt. There's a verse there, and I love this verse. It's Genesis 50, 20, and I like to call it 50, 20 vision. Many of you know it. I'll paraphrase it. He said, what the 
what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. <clears throat> what, the, what, what Satan meant for evil, God used for good. Now look at we know this story. What did he end up doing? He ended up bringing food to thousands of people. He was used by God writing that story. Did he know that when his brothers threw him in a pit? Did he know that when he was falsely accused? Did he know that when he was in prison? No, but God knows your story. And he's writing it if you will let him. Joseph didn't have to go along with it. And the last one, and the most important one, is Jesus. The scripture says, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Talk about an interesting thing. Coming from heaven to live our life, to understand it, to go through all that we go through, to suffer, to die on a cross for our sins, for our salvation, raised from the grave, eternally creating resurrection for you and my. Listen, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you could see the struggle that he had. Lord, not my, is there any, Lord, is there any, Lord. Scripture actually talks about how his heart was broken for us. And because of that, he said, I'll take this. Jesus did that for you and I, and our story is eternal because of what he did. Amen, Amen. Amen to that. Amen to that. So I'd like our worship team to come. <clears throat> I appreciate JJ moderating our schedule to allow this moment of response. It's very unique that I want to do today. Okay? There's a song <clears throat> that when I heard it, I decided that when my time comes, I want this song at my memorial because I think it shares this overarching story and journey in my life, okay? But you're going to participate. I want you to stand up. I want you to get your heart, the one that you have ripped in half. Now, listen, if your heart is not ripped, don't worry. <laughs> your time will come. For long years, I had a whole heart. I understand that. That was good. But again, I framed the goodness of God based on what good was happening in my life. It's just not going to work that way, okay? So we're going to do something very special today. And I believe there will be breakthrough and God doing something special to do in your life today if you'll let him. As we sing this song, okay, what we want to do is give you the opportunity to look at two ways to respond to God today. Maybe your heartache has caused you to be distant from God. Hopefully today I've been able to explain the value of being near to God. So during this song, and I heard last night it was amazing how throughout this song, many people begin to release and when I ask you to hold up your two heart pieces. As an act of faith, as an act of hope, to ask God to be near again to you. Now, that may be some of you, but some of you might feel near to God, but you struggle. You're not sure about the story that's happening in your life. And I want you to say, I'm going to hold up my pieces because, God, I'm going to give you the pen now for my life, and I'm going to let you write my story. And throughout this congregation, as you respond, I believe that there's something supernatural going to happen in this place that is powerful. It's not on the screen, but I want to read this because you might 
still not be convinced. You might not be sure. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, goes through all these greats of Scripture. It talks about their faith and how God did great things. But the last verses of chapter 11, let me read them. Listen to this. talks about then some people that didn't see and it said, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them, none received all that God had promised. For God had, oh, God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Now, we break up chapter 11 and 12, but in the original, 11 and 12 are together. And so listen to this continuation of that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Folks, every effort to fix our heartbrokenness. And then it says, especially sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So here, we're going to sing this song, The Goodness of God. And this isn't just this kind of rote, ah, Terry said, raised, when you want to be nearer, you let that be your testimony. When you want God to write your story, you let that be test, your testimony. And then JJ will come and close out this service. Can we worship together? Please.
all my life. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so. Faithful. 